Well, hello, Fellowship family. Welcome to episode seven of Mission Possible. And uh, today we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 16, where we uh, take a look at the glory of the gospel. And, uh, you know, that was something that uh, we're going to see spread from Jerusalem in the book of Acts all the way to Judea, Samaria, and now the end of the earth. And in their day, the end of the earth was literally the Middle East, this whole Mediterranean area uh, they took the gospel to. Uh, last week, we talked, took a look at uh, Paul and Barnabas returning from their first missionary journey, and they reported uh, pretty much what God does with the church. And we see that God uh, shares the gospel of Jesus with you in a church. And because of that, they preached boldly. God also loves and grows you in a family. And because of that, they set up a whole family structure of leadership. And they provided loving leaders to guide and direct those churches. And then God gifts and empowers you uh, to serve others in ministry in a local church. And therefore, Paul and Barnabas trusted people in uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were able to trust the ministry to them. And they moved on to other churches that they could plant. Uh, this... The second missionary journey really goes, it begins to start um, proclaiming the simple message that Jesus is for everyone. He's not just for Jews. He's for Jew and Gentile. Because that was the big question of the church. The early church had that question. Do we have to follow the law like the Old Testament believers do? Do we have to be obedient to the law or is Jesus enough? And the whole council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 deals with that question and answers it res- resolutely. It, it, it basically says that it, it's it's. Jesus alone, it's salvation by grace alone through faith. Peter gave testimony there. Paul and Barnabas said, hey, Gentiles are trusting in Christ. Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. So it's really only Jesus that we need. And so Paul and Barnabas were to take that message, go back to the churches they originally preached the gospel and advance the gospel of God's grace in each one of those churches. As this second journey starts off, though, we sense tension There's tension because, remember John Mark? He deserted them. He deserted them in uh, Perga and kind of went back to Antioch. And and so Barnabas was saying, hey, let's take him. Let's give him a second chance. And Paul said, absolutely no way. There's no way we're taking him with us. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways. Barnabas took John Mark. They they uh, sailed back to Cyprus, which was where Barnabas was, and they strengthened the churches in that area. Paul took Silas, and they went from Antioch, and they went uh, by land to Tarsus. And by the way, that's not their direct route. I just couldn't get the arrow to do what I wanted it to do, so bear with me there. So they they went from Tarsus and went back to those churches we talked about in episode six last week. They went back to Derby. They went back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, and they proclaimed that it's really only through Jesus. And he, they strengthened the churches. The churches grew in number. While they went to Derby, they met up with a guy named Timothy, who was a new believer. And Paul was so impressed by him that he said, Timothy, come along with us. So the two became three. You had Paul, Silas, and you had Timothy. And and then they asked the question, where should we go from here? Do we continue going east over to Asia? Uh, and, and Paul literally heard from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit forbid them to go to Asia. We aren't told why. 
And he said, well, let's go north then. Let's go to Bithynia. And the spirit of Jesus said, no, you can't go there. So they asked, where should we go? Paul has a vision and he had a dream. And in this vision, in this dream, there was a man from Macedonia, which is present day Greece, saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. So they headed for the port of Troas. And at Troas, we see the narrative kind of make a, a subtle change. The, the language moves from they, when they were describing Paul and Silas and Timothy, to we. Why is that? Well, we believe at Troas, they picked up Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. That's where they met him. That's probably where he came to Christ. And he said, let me document this story. Let me document the story of Jesus. Let me document the story of the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So they pick up Luke and they sail a hundred miles to the port of Neapolis and then they go to Philippi. I want to talk to you about Philippi, but before I do, I want to tell you, I could probably preach three messages this morning. The first one would be possibly from where we've been now of what do you do when you disagree with another believer so strongly that you separate from them? I mean, that was something that kind of, you're, we're in a church family here. We don't always agree together. I mean, what happens when you disagree? We could have that message, but I'm not going to preach that one today. We could have another one of what happens when you really want to go to a place, you even want to serve in a ministry, that for some reason the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there right now. And we could preach another message on that one. So hang out here for a while. I think over the next five years, I'll preach a message on one of those topics. But what I really want to do is put down the anchor in the city of Philippi. Because I think what happens in the city of Philippi is a larger story. It's a story of the glory of the gospel, which those other two issues submit to. And we see the gospel really taking root amongst a such a diverse group of people. I want to talk to you about that because every week we get together here at Fellowship, I have a unique perspective. If you look at me, I can kind of see your face and I can kind of see different people. You just see me, you know, from one week to the other. I may lose a little bit more hair, but I'm the same me. I get to see a whole group of people over four services on the weekend and I see a diverse group. I see some of us who are young and some of us who are very mature. It's the nice word for it, right? I remember when David Hinkle was being interviewed at one of our Easter services. He says, it's a great place for young and old, small. And then he realized it. He said it. And large people can gather together. I thought that was kind of funny descriptor of our church. But, you know, we're a diverse group of people. Some of us have wealth. Some of us have wants we, and needs. We don't even know where the next dollar is going to come for. And yet God joins us together, this diverse group of people. Some of you are going through great times of joy and triumph and success. Others of you are dealing with huge challenges in your life or families. And yet God brings us together each week. And we gather together to lift up the same person to commit our lives to the same thing, Jesus and the gospel. And that's what this church in Philippi was all about. Paul goes and travels to this place and he looks like he did in all the other churches. He looks for a synagogue because remember, the gospel was begun with the teachings of the Jews in in the Old Testament scriptures. 
That's where the foundation of, of the gospel was preached. But in Philippi, there's no synagogue. So where does he go? And by the way, here are the recurrent ruins of the church in Philippi in that mountainous region of present day Greece. And since there was no synagogue, and by the way, it, uh, each city required at least 10 male heads of household to agree that a synagogue would be planted there because they would fund it. And uh, without that, they wouldn't build a synagogue. So there was no 10 male heads of, heads of household who had agreed to build a synagogue. So they went to uh, a nearby water source, which was this, the Ganges River, which is about a third of the mile outside of these ruins in Philippi. And that's where they went and they prayed. They just prayed. And Paul looked for a water source and looked for people praying. And that's where the gospel was started in Philippi. This is kind of just something before we delve into this story. This is something that I want us to always remember. That the glory of the gospel is not in a church building. Because the church in Philippi didn't even have a church building. It's not in the number of people who were there. Because this was a small group of people. It wasn't rich or poor. It wasn't slave or free. It was all about the glory of the gospel was transformed lives of people who were saved by Jesus Christ. Never forget that as a church, because sometimes churches can kind of get their pride in their buildings or their budgets or how many people can show up on a weekend. God doesn't take glory in just numbers. There's certainly a, a picture that God is entrusting people to a church, but ultimately the glory of a church is, and the glory of the gospel is transformed lives. That's why the vision here at Fellowship Bible Church is really transformed lives. We see transformed lives leaving a godly legacy. Each one of you are part of God's work. You're part of the gospel taking root in your life and then transforming your life and then leaving a legacy for the people around you. And that's still true today as it was back in Philippi. The first person we meet is a woman named Lydia. Let's pick up the story. It's in verse 13. It says, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. One of the things we see right away from the, her kind of profile as she's introduced to us is she was successful, but she was also seeking that's the picture of this woman. She was successful in that she was a businesswoman in a world dominated by businessmen. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. And here she was in a first century context selling her goods. Now, there's other things that are revealed that you need to know a little bit about the cultural context. The city of Thyatira was actually known for its dyed goods. It would, it would develop the different dyes and it would apply them to fabrics and it would export them all around the Roman world at that time. Here, the color purple is also important because the color purple was a special dye and it signified two things. You were either in royalty 
or you were wealthy. So royalty and wealth, when you're a dealer of goods to that clientele, you had connections. You had power. You had position. And here she is, a successful businesswoman, peddling her goods to Philippi, this Roman city. And she's seeking, though. We're told she's probably wealthy, but she was also probably questioning, what is my life all about? What am I here to do? And it was there that she started seeking after God. Enter Paul. He comes in, he starts sharing the gospel with her. In a woman, she, as a woman, she probably saw so many limitations she had in life living in a culture like that. But Paul preached that Jesus Christ welcomes women. And he welcomed her and he received her and she received Christ. And she realized she was received by Jesus. This is a major turning point in her life. It wasn't about her works. It wasn't about her performance. It wasn't about her being good or having her good deeds out of way or bad deeds. It was entrusting in the only one who could save her. And she realized that through Jesus, God received her. You know, all of us have been received by Jesus if we have been put If we have trusted in his work for us. That's one of the great pictures of the church is that we're all received by God. And this was transformational for her because she not only received Christ, but then she started receiving other people immediately. She probably had that gift of the Holy Spirit to to, to be hospitable. And she invites Paul and Silas and Timothy together to to and Luke to to stay in her house. Her house was large enough. And that was a kind of a high commodity there, a large enough home to invite a bunch of people along with her household to be and to take care of their needs. It's because it's something about knowing the gospel and living the gospel. If you once you receive the work of Christ in your life, you're much more open to receiving other people in your life. When you know you have been received, not by your works, but only because of grace, you tend to be more gracious in how you receive people in your life. You tend to talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to. People who disagree with you, you tend to realize that only by the grace of God have you been received by him. You start treating people better than they deserve and receiving them. Well, Lydia trusted in Christ. She believed. Her whole family heard about Christ and they believed and they were baptized. Great moment of celebration. But now we move to another person. And that's a slave girl. And and, uh, as they were coming and going, take a look at this in verse uh, 16. It says, as they were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. By the way, at first, at first glance, that kind of looks interesting. It's like, well, she really got it right, right? Well, demons had yelled out at Jesus during his ministry. And what did Jesus do? He rebuked them. This is kind of the picture if you've watched that movie Princess Bride where Princess Buttercup comes up and someone goes, boo, boo, that this is that moment. This is that moment. They were mocking them for being servants of the Most High. And so what happens? Let's keep continue reading. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul was patient, however, but he became greatly annoyed. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
here, that whole picture is, is he had enough of her taunting. And Jesus said, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Immediately it left her. But as it left her, she opened up her life to Christ. Every scholar who studied this passage that I've read the commentary on said it's implied in the text that since she turned away from the demon, the demon was taken out of her, she trusted in Christ. Just implied in the text. And so she did. Here's someone that we meet. When we meet her, she's, she's trapped and she's enslaved. She's trapped in, in uh, being a slave herself with her masters. And she's enslaved to a demon being over her life. And here we see that when the gospel comes into her life, she's set free. Literally, the word is she's been redeemed. She's been bought back by Jesus. Redemption is a word that uh, if we haven't been in slavery, we struggle to really catch. But when those of us who have been in slavery, I'm not talking about physical slave. I'm talking about slavery to sin. If some of us have been abused in life, we know what it's like to just be powerless. We know to have dignity stripped from us. You know, when one group in a culture, you know, exploits another group in a culture, that group that's exploited, I mean, same words, whether you're in sin or whether it's actual physical bondage, it's that picture of being helpless, powerless, in despair, without hope. And yet... What this woman received from Jesus was was redemption. She came to the point where literally she was freed from the power of satanic activity and moved into the people of God. She understood redemption. That's the picture of the church in Philippi. Begins with two women. One from the highest picture of society and one from the lowest picture of society. But the gospel is moving and the gospel continues because as she was delivered from this demon uh, her power kind of to tell fortunes and to make her master's money kind of went from her. And you know what? I think this is always a picture of whether or not you're enslaved to something. It's that resistance you have to turn or to obey or to follow. And I, I, when someone's trapped in sin, there's always that decision that has to have, whether it's porn, whether it's anger, whether it's a relationship you know is destructive. It's out that picture of, if I follow Jesus in this area, I'm going to lose. I'm going to miss out. It won't be as fun. It won't be as pleasurable. There's always that tension that happens when you step away from something that enslaves you and traps you. And here... There was that resistance. It was her literal slave owners. They said she's useless to us, which just shows you they were using her and exploiting her and abusing her. And yet they welled up with anger and they take Paul and Silas and they bring them before a crowd and kind of do this lynch mob kind of thing. They even bring in the magistrates of this city. They go racial with them and say, these guys are Jews. Secondly, they are against Rome and against Caesar. Let's get them. They're really causing problems in here. And the, they weld up the emotion of the crowd. They strip their clothes from them. They beat them. And they actually get, they get kind of pushed into prison, the inner prison, which was the most secure place, and locked in jail. Let's watch this story unfold in verse 25. It says, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They were, they were 
praying. They were singing. I mean, who does that when you've just been beaten for following Christ, for preaching the gospel, for doing what he called you to do? I mean, here, that's that's something about the glory of of the gospel. They they were uh, they were people who even in the midst of persecution, they worshiped. Now, it's easy to be ticked off in life and to write a song about it. I mean, welcome to country western music. okay? but here you've got someone singing worship songs to God, lifting up his name in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution. When they could be pouting, they're praising when they could have been discouraged, here they are declaring the greatness of God. So let's continue to see what happens here. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Here's this third person. He's the pri- he's the jailer. And he realizes he's he's probably from the middle class. He was a Roman citizen and he probably was a retired soldier. That just fits the profile of this. And he took he was responsible for the security of of this prison and the city. So he had to keep these prisoners contained. And when this supernatural event happens, everything's open. Doors are opened. He supposed because there wasn't light in there yet that everyone ran away. But Paul and Silas had not. Let's keep reading. But Paul cried out, verse 28, in a, with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can I just pause here real quick? What a moment. I mean, here they are. When you're going through a time of persecution or suffering, it's real easy for you to feel isolated and on the sidelines. And here, they're right in the center of God's will. They're right where God wants him, wants them to be. And they use that. They could have run away from that prison, but they stay because God had a greater purpose. And that's in the economy of the gospel. Things are priceless. Even things like that, God uses to advance the gospel. And so they did. And he said, what must I do? What that moment, what must I do to be saved? And, and this is what Paul says. It says, and they said in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household, for they had believed in God. For he had believed in God, pardon. Here you've got someone again. And and what do we see on this? Here's this Roman soldier. Key words for a Roman soldier? Duty. Honor, valor. They were self-made individuals. But here's a self-made man. He's shaken. He's shaken by events around his life. Shaken by a literal earthquake. Shaken to the core, ready to end his life because it totally, totally was catastrophic in his mindset. I don't know. Some of you probably came here shaken. 
shaken uh, in a relationship, maybe a marriage that's really shaken right now or a relationship that went south. Maybe some of you are going through a financial shaken angle of, of being in an earthquake and, and having everything rattled. Maybe you're going through a health challenge. But, but the, the reality that they started to see here is that Paul said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, what, what, God, what God was doing is he was remaking someone who's shaken. And that's what we celebrate when we gather together. We, we celebrate God remaking us. Some of us have known Jesus for a long time. And so that pattern, God is still, he's been remaking us for a long time. And then there's other of us who just met Jesus and he's just starting to chip away and make us look more like Jesus. We've got to trust God as the creator, as the master artist of our lives to recreate us. That's the whole picture of the gospel in its glory. I hope that my life looks different than it does today, next year, as God continues to hone away and chip away at my rough spots. I hope my life looks more like Jesus tomorrow than it does today, because God is at work in us. As he was at work and was remaking and refashioning this jailer, this church would be founded on people who were always being remade by Christ. So here it is, folks. The glory of the gospel is transformed lives. These three people became that bedrock of the church in Philippi. They were what Paul would call my beloved in the book of Philippians, by the way, written to the church in Philippi. Paul would give thanks to God upon every remembrance of them. Later on in that book that he wrote or that letter he wrote from a prison cell in Rome, he would call them loved. He loved and longed to be with them. He would say he would call them his joy and his crown. See, these were different people, but it was the same salvation through Jesus. These were different pasts, yet the same future of restoration and hope through Jesus. These were different positions in life, yet they had the same priority of glorifying and praising Jesus Christ, who gave them life. Three people. There's actually a fourth, though. His name is Paul. And he walked into that city and radically changed the picture because of the gospel. Remember Paul, when we met him, he was Saul. Remember where he met him? We met him at his feet because in Jerusalem, as they were those who took up rocks to stone Stephen, the first martyr, and to kill him, they laid their robes down at the feet of Saul. Now we see Paul in Philippi. His feet are no longer bent on destruction. His feet are beautiful. For how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And those feet took the gospel and suffered for the name of Jesus Christ so that these people could have the gospel, the life-giving gospel of Jesus, the gospel in all its glory. The other thing about Paul is, is that he was a Pharisee. He grew up being taught and being one of the greatest zealous followers of Judaism. And a Pharisee every day would wake up and pray a prayer like this. It's kind of an odd prayer. They would say, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile. God, thank you that I'm not a woman. God, thank you that I'm not a slave. And God gets the last laugh in Philippi. Because we meet 
women who come to Christ. We meet a slave who comes to Christ. We meet Gentiles who come to Christ. Which leads Paul to write in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Man, every time we get together, church, I see the same Jesus in the life of people here at FBC who worked in the lives of people in Philippi. When we join together, let's celebrate this same Jesus. This Jesus who receives us. Some of us may feel rejected, refused, limited, or denied through life circumstances. But remember this. Through Christ, you have been received by God. You're good enough through Christ. His work, not your own. Trust in only Christ to save you, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And when you do, welcome the reception. Welcome. Honor God for that. Glorify him. Praise him every day that you've been received by him. And have it change the way you view others. Open up your heart. Open up your hands to be hospitable, to be kind, to receive others with grace. Because it's the same grace that received you. Secondly, it's Jesus redeems us. Some of us may be trapped in sin right now, enslaved to destructive habits. Remember this. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're no longer a slave. You're sons. You have a heavenly father who loves you dearly, far more than you'll ever understand. And remember, he's the one who purchased you out of sin so that you could live in righteousness. And remember the Jesus who remakes you. You may be shaken by the realities of life. You may be broken down. But remember this. Jesus recreates. He's the creator who recreates what sin has destroyed and is, and is enslaving you in. Remember this. Trust in the creator of all life to begin and begin again with him. This is the church. This is what happens every time we get together. God receives us through Christ. He redeems us in Christ. And he remakes us in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for showing us a picture of of even though there were very different people with different pasts and different positions, you accepted them through Jesus. And Lord, what truth that is today, a very fractured culture that we live in, one that's always comparing with, with other people. Lord, help us to just sit back and celebrate the work of Jesus in, in our lives. Lord, we thank you for a time like this in our week where we can draw away from the burdens of life and we can celebrate how you receive us, you redeem us, and you remake us. And now may we be that church who receives others, who forgives others, and who is part of remaking a culture that is broken by sin. Begin with us today, Lord Jesus. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.